0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our Sermon Cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning, just 13 short verses, and if you've read through the Bible before and just kind of kept reading and reading, you would probably skip over a lot of stuff that we can find in our passage this morning. You see, today at the conclusion of our service, we are going to remember the work that Jesus did for us through the observance of the Lord's Supper. This is something that we do every fifth Sunday. And this is not a religious act. We can just check off that we've done the Lord's Supper. Uh, We're not trying to be fill out our good Christian survey card. We're just doing this because the, the Bible literally says that we are to do this in remembrance of what he's done. And so as we do this, It's a way of retelling the story of the gospel and then not only retelling it, but identifying in our lives what it means to us, what it means to have our sins forgiven, what it means to have his body broken for our sins. And so the Bible tells us that no one is supposed to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? It means that we have unconfessed sin or maybe we have anger against somebody else it would be safe to say that not many of our Corinthian brothers and sisters that we look at today would have been able to take the Lord's Supper because they were having many issues. Now, we continue in the Scripture because we see that 1 Corinthians is a book addressing questions that the church at Corinth had sent them. Last week we dealt with, in the last two weeks actually, we were dealing with marriage, we were dealing with singleness, and we were uh, dealing with divorce. And so the next of the questions that Paul addressed was one recording the fact that some were eating the meat of animals that were sacrificed at pagan temples in Corinth. Some had the conviction, they really felt like it was wrong for a good Christian to eat the meat of, of sacrifices from those pagan temples. And there were others that really didn't see a problem with it. And the thing is, is that you're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be sitting here talking about meat for, for the next few minutes. I'm hungry already. Don't worry. It's not going to be just about meat. It's, it's the principle behind this that I think is going to kind of open your eyes to some, some other topics that churches have today. You see how Paul will address this to believers who are on opposite sides of the issues and who both feel that they are 100% right and justified. Let's see, because that battle that was going on then is still going on today. So as we jump into our scripture, the first thing that we see is that love is greater than knowledge. Love is greater than knowledge. It says, now regarding your question about food that has been offered by idols. Just by him writing that, that reminds us that this is the next question of a punch list that he's going through. He says, yes, we know that. We all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Or some translations say the person who loves has full knowledge. So what, what is he saying here? You will see that Paul is saying that some people feel totally okay with the fact that eating meat sacrificed to pagan idols and pagan gods are fine, while others deem that very unspiritual. The same believers in the same church with different convictions, just like into today, right now, if I were to take a secret survey of different hot topics that the church talks about and, and, and things that we uh, go through as a church and as Christians just in our, our culture today, we would be shocked about if, if you knew that nobody was going to look at your answers. It was just going to be posted and we'd see, see the statistics. And if you were really honest with it, you would see that we are all not in agreement on everything all of the time. Why? Because we are people and we are Baptists. But love helps believers to agree on things of Christ and agree to disagree on topics that are unclear. Do you hear what I'm saying, folks? At the end of the day, as a church, our main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it ministers to us and how we can take it to other people and all of these other things that are are getting our attention and splitting churches are the things that we need to kind of slow down and understand that in a gathering of a large group of people, not everyone is always going to be thinking the same thing. Well, what's the big deal here? Where did the meat come from? The meat offered on these heathen altars were usually divided into three portions. So you would have a temple of Zeus, you would have a, a temple of Aphrodite, you would have all these people going to these foreign gods and they would be sacrificing their meat just like uh, the Christians would in their temple. And so in these three sections, one portion of it was devoted to God. Then another portion of that was devoted to the one that was sacrificing it. And then the third one was devoted to the actual priests that were... Uh, and I use that term loosely, the pagan priests that were offering that idol. So you could, you could take whatever animal you brought to the sacrifice and you could leave with a piece of it. And if you were a priest and you were doing multiple sacrifices that day, you could have lamb chops and sides of beef and steaks and, and all that kind of stuff just kind of accumulated there in the back. So what were they going to do with it? The priest couldn't eat all that. So what would they do? They would basically have a a, a sale, uh, a an outlet. They would say, hey, come on and you can get this at a discount place. And if it was cooked, man, they had like a cafe barbecue. I mean, that was the place to go. And the thing is that the, the Corinthians, those that were outside of the church, had no problem. What? You mean I can save some money by going to the temple and getting their sacrificed meat? And it costs less than if I go to the vendor down here. Absolutely, I'm going to go there. And then the Christians all of a sudden said, what? A bargain? Do you know a Christian is going to turn down a bargain? No. So they go and they get the bargain and then all of a sudden they're sitting there at that temple cafe and they're eating their, their lamb leg or they're eating their steak and all of a sudden sister and Mr. Righteous walk by. Can you believe what they are doing? I have seen them at that cafe, at the temple. They were eating sacrificed meat. They are so unspiritual. Let's just call the pastor and tell him. That's basically what was going on. And so in the same body of believers at the church at Corinth, they were fractured over this problem. And so the issue Paul is addressing here is that should followers of Christ eat meat, That had been sacrificed to other gods. Can a good Christian buy the discounted meat at the temple? Can a good Christian go to the restaurant that serves meat from the sacrifices? We all have knowledge. But we have love. Instead of Paul jumping in, they wanted Paul to jump in and say, Well, you know what? You're right. They shouldn't be eating that. If you are eating that, then you're not a good Christian. And all the good self-righteous will say, see, I told you so, sister and Mr. Righteous. Everything's great. And it would feel really good in the fact that they caused somebody else to not do something that they thought was wrong. But Paul takes it further. Instead of Paul jumping into saying what is right and wrong, he introduces this principle that he used that we can use today on many issues. Look at verse 1 again. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, talking about the eating sacrificed meat. But while knowledge makes us feel important, some translations say puffs us up. It is love that strengthens the church. So the building block of a Christian church is not knowledge. It is love. Knowledge is important, but the trap is people, if they get so consumed with what they think is right in their knowledge, and it's their way or the highway, then all of a sudden they become, as the Bible says, puffed up or self-righteous, having a big presence in the church, but having no real substance. It's almost like when you go and you buy a bag of potato chips. The bag is this big, but there's about that many potato chips in it, and it's filled with air. Sometimes when people get their preferences and their traditions and their opinions and they put it above God's Word, they make themselves bigger than they should. And all of a sudden, you have people that are the frozen chosen that are too opinionated and they're running the church making sure everybody does it the way they think it ought to be done when actually it's their knowledge, it's not the scriptural knowledge. And so Paul is saying, time out a minute. You've got this knowledge. You think that this is wrong, but let me let me show you the other side of this. And so I I think you see where this is going. I hope you do. The religious Jewish leaders had a lot of knowledge of Old Testament rules and doctrines, yet they still executed Jesus. They knew exactly the laws. They knew exactly what to do, but yet they were still so far from Christ. But here's the thing about knowledge. Knowledge makes us feel important. But love strengthens, or the biblical word edifies, others in the church. Knowledge makes us feel important. Love strengthens, edifies others in church. I'll give you some some just examples off the top of my head. Those of you that have been raised in church all your life, you've heard that if you wear a hat in church, unless you're a woman, that's a sin. Never understood that. Woman could wear it, man couldn't. There's somebody that doesn't know Jesus, but if they have a ball cap on and they're in the sanctuary, they're going to burn in hell. That's what some people think. Some of you were told, oh, Christians, we don't go to the moving pictures. We call them movies now. Oh, you don't dance. We call that interpretive movement. Oh, you don't play cards. We call that raffles. I don't know what what we call that. But the thing is, is that y'all have heard all the things that you're not supposed to do. But yet when we look at scripture and we look at, well, if we tell every, if somebody comes into our sanctuary and they have a ball cap on, you better not go and take it off of them. Because they may not know any better. If we have someone that comes into our church that is not dressed to the nines, you better not say, hey, you need to go outside. You're not dressed for church. I've had, I remember my mom was going to come to church with us. And she said, now, James, can I wear pants? I said, I hope you can. And then I said, no, do we have to wear dresses? I said, I see the ladies wearing everything. It doesn't matter what you wear. It's about the position of your heart. But still, that's not the way it is in every church. And I'm not knocking them, but I'm just saying that there are some people that are more steeped in their tradition than they are in their scripture. And that's where Paul's headed here. They're feeling super puffed up about Whatever issue is, in this case, it was eating sacrificed meat, but they were like a bubble instead of trying to be like a building. Well, the second thing we see, to eat the sacrificed meat or not, that is the question in verses 4 through 8, because obviously some had asked Paul to weigh in on this issue. Some wanted him to say it was wrong, while others wanted him to say it was right. He says in verse 4, so what about eating Meat that has been offered to idols. Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. He's saying, church, go back to the basics. The worship that they are doing is a farce. They are worshiping gods that are not real. And then so he says in verse 5, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but for us, So he brings it back to us in our situation. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom all things were created and through whom we live. So what he's saying, the influence of the pagan worship was causing the believers in Corinth to question what they were doing. And I cannot overstate how diverse and how perverse the culture at Corinth was. They had a reputation that many of our big cities have. If you want something good, it's there. But if you want something bad, it's there too. Shoot, it's that way in Anderson too. But in Corinth alone, there was no less than 16 temples and shrines, some of which had dining rooms in them. And again, they were worshipping gods like Zeus and Aphrodite. Pagan worship services were escapable. Why is that? Why do you think that there were so many people worshiping these foreign gods? Why do you think that people worship gods today? Yes, there are cults. And yes, there are other religions. But then there are also people that just worship image. There are people that worship status. There are people that worship themselves. Everybody's worshiping something. You know why? God created us to worship. We were created for worship, and when you get down to it, every person on earth worships. It may be a sports figure, an entertainer, or someone else, but it may be a possession. But everybody worships something. Even atheists worship. I was looking the other day. Do you know they have atheist churches now? Is that is that an oxymoron, an atheist church? An atheist, someone who does not believe in God, right? So how do you have a church? And it shows, the interview shows them, it was a church up in Canada, and they were having sing-alongs, or they were, you know, doing popular songs that they hear on the radio. They were having fellowships together. They were reading, you know, poems. Everything that you do in church, but it wasn't church. Because they have a desire to worship, but they are worshiping the wrong God. And so, just on a side note, Romans 1, 20 and 21 is a, a, a verse that speaks to this, and uh, i don 't want to get bogged down into this, but there is a a doctrine called general revelation, which means that what about that person that has never heard a preacher preach? What about that that person that uh, can say that they don 't see the evidence of God? This is the answer to that, and it is for ever since the world has was created, people have seen the earth and sky through every thing God made, they clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So this is general revelation. This means that we all, whether we go to the beach or we're out in the woods, or we see things that are happening, or or we go to the doctor and he tells us how our body works, and we think that is amazing. There's got to be something to put all of this together. God reveals himself just in a general way. It says in verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And my friends, there is no better description of religion and Christianity today than that. And it's right from Paul's pen. So as we get back to the meat issue, there were two camps. One said this is not... The the meat that they are sacrificing to this God as a pagan God is not the true God. So no God and no problem. (laughs) You know, they're just, they're sacrificing this to a God that means nothing to me. So I'm going to go and get the discounted meat. It's kind of like the people that used to say, oh, I don't listen to the words of the music. I just listen to the beat. It's because you can't listen to the words because, never mind. It's not, I mean, all, all, all different genres of music, but they were saying, no, no God, no foul, no harm, no biggie, no problem. But then the others would say, no, that's a big problem. You're not supposed to do that. Some thought that eating meat meant, to the sacrifice gods, meant that that was a form of worshiping that God. That is where they based their opinion. So what do you do when both sides think they're right? He says in verse seven, however, not all believers know this. Because he had just told them, look, there is one God, and these that being sacrificed to are not him. He says, however, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. Because there may have been some in the Corinthian church that used to be in that idol worship, that have now been converted, and they're having trouble making the transition to the new way. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think it is as worship. Oh, real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. Or some translations say their conscious being weak is defiled. Their weak conscience is violated. What is he saying? Paul is reminding the Corinthian Christians that not everyone knows or believes that the meat is okay because it is not sacrificed To our one true God. He is telling those people that are so steeped in their opinion that that is wrong. He's telling them, look, there is more knowledge out here. If you would like to learn something, you would like to see that the justification for these people doing this is because that this is not religious meat. It is just meat that has been sacrificed to a foreign god. Their conscience or knowledge is weak because they believe that the eating meat is a form of vital worship when it's not. So isn't it ironic that you would think that when he's talking about the people that are weak, he would be talking about to the people that are losing self-control and giving themselves over to eating the sacrificed meat. But he's actually saying those that are too closed-minded to hear the truth are the ones that are weak in their knowledge. They don't know any better, but they don't want to know any better because they already think they know everything they need to know. Does that sound like some Christians today? Absolutely. You want me to give you some names? I'm not going to do it. Nobody here, of course. But they were more focused on their rituals and being right than growing their faith. And they had not been taught any better. So we go into verse 8. He says... It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. What he's saying here is that what we eat or do not eat does not make us right or not right with God. This was a tough for those Jewish backgrounds to hear. Your relationship with God, check this out, your relationship with God is not about what goes into your stomach. It's about what goes into your heart and into your mind. I love the way the message writes, and it's a good transition into verse 9. The message, uh, Eugene Peterson translates it this way in verses 8 and 9. He says, but fortunately, God doesn't grade us on our diet. Amen. We're neither commended when we clean our plate nor reprimanded when we can't stomach it. But God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads fellow believers still vulnerable to those old associations, to be thrown off track. Okay, hang with me just for a minute. Buckle your pew belts. It's about to get real. We've been talking about meats, sacrificed to idols. We've talked about the fact that there are some that think that it's wrong because of their inferior knowledge, that they are judging those that think it's right. And then those are the ones that they're seeing out at the cafes and the discount meat line. Apply the same concept to many of the hot-button topics in the church today that the Bible does not specifically address. Am I going to say it? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Alcohol. Some churches seek to abolish it. Others, other churches serve it in their services. Some in here have never touched it, and some in here today, you have some in your fridge or tucked away. Oh, we don't want to talk about that because we're Baptist, and, and I, but again, there are some people in here that, when it comes to alcohol, they 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 feel like that it's okay that they are not sinning because they drink that. But yet, yeah, there are others that will say, "Oh my goodness, if it even touches your lips, you're going to go to hell." I can't tell you the number of times when I was a summer missionary walking up on campsites or even as a preacher today when I go to places and I see people at the store and they have they have stuff in their cart or they have stuff by their campsite. And I walk up and they said, oh, hey, preacher, how you doing? And it's like they can try to hide whatever it is. I've even been places and they say, I don't want to sit by the preacher because I'm going to be drinking, you know, something. And they're like that I'm going to judge them or something like that. There are some people in the Christian faith that do not have problems with drinking alcohol. And there are some people that do have a big problem with it. So where do you meet in the middle? How do you have fellowship with one another in that situation? What about worship? Some people believe his hymns are nothing. Other people believe it's got to be choruses that you can repeat over and over again. Some love the new groups that are writing praise songs, and others call them heretics. There are praise teams and worship ministries that are splitting because of who writes the songs that they sing. If you sing How Great Thou Art on the organ from the, the hymnal or something like that, it's great. But if a certain band does it, oh, we can't sing that song in our church anymore. Because it's not right. Does that sound familiar? It's everywhere, folks. Bible translations. King James Version. If it ain't King James, it ain't, ain't the Bible, right? If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Well, actually, Jesus didn't speak King James. He spoke Aramaic and Greek. If you really want to know what the true translations say, Learn those two languages. But the truth of the matter is that there are churches that they believe is it one translation or not? So have I set the hook well enough to know it's not just about the meat, whether it was whether it was sacrificed to gods or not. Some were okay with it, some were not. Do you see where we're going with this now? Do you understand the importance of as a church? And and I will say, you know, I, I brought over alcohol. I'm not defending the drinking of alcohol. I've never, when I was a youth pastor, I never heard a kid come to me and say, you know what, I wish my mom and dad would drink more. Never heard that. I've seen the devastation that it has. But I've also seen some good Christians that still believe that it's okay. So what do you do in that situation? How do you win in that? How do you keep from ticking off the preacher? <laughs> how, how, how can you go and eat at that cafe, at that pagan temple and not have other people judge you? Well, Paul tells us. So now that I've set the, the, the topic here, let me give you the answer. Verses 9 through 13. Give up your rights to help the weaker mature and grow. This is something that is not popular in today's society. Everything is about, this is my right. I could do what I want. I live in a free country. Freedom of of speech. Freedom of expression. Freedom of this. Freedom of that. And, And everybody truly is, even in the church, you are free to believe and express what you want to do. But how do you build unity in a culture and in a church that has so many different beliefs? Some people would call this the law of the weaker brother. And let me explain it to you. He says in verse 9, But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. And again, when he says, but you must be careful about what your freedom does, does not cause the other weaker conscience to stumble, he's saying for those of you that are eating the meat, you need to be careful because all of these that don't think that way, the ones that think that they're righteous and that think that they're holy, they're the ones that are stumbling over this. And then also, it's those people that are new to the faith or maybe trying to think out the faith. If, if they see somebody in church doing something that everybody else says is wrong and they see that person doing that, they have to wrestle with themselves whether it's right or not, for example, there there are some churches that they will totally, I guess nowadays everything is smoke-free, but back in the day, it'd be nothing for you to catch the deacons out in the back of the church, lighten them up after service. So is that right? But there would be some Christians that say, well, if you're a Christian, I had somebody come tell me, well, preacher, I'm not going to come to church because I smoke. Really? You think you're smoking now? But again, that was opinions. That was people who who were looking at the legality of this. But the thing is, is that if if someone is smoking and somebody walks up and sees them smoking and they say, I don't have a problem with that, that's no big deal. There's no violation here. There's no problem with that. But the problem is, is that when we are doing things that are controversial and then we are causing other People to stumble. Just for me personally, that's why I don't drink. I don't drink in public. I don't drink. I don't do it because I am afraid if they see me as a Baptist preacher drinking something that is not bought at the soda aisle or water or whatever, that I may cause somebody to stumble. That's my conviction. That's me personally. But I have no problem with a brother or sister that doesn't have that conviction. But what I do have a problem with is that the Bible doesn't say that alcohol is a sin, believe it or not. Did you know that the wine that they used when they did communion was fermented wine? Did you know there was alcohol in that? We didn't switch it out today, don't worry. Still grape juice. But it's not the alcohol, it's the sin, it's the being drunk. It's it's letting it control you of it becoming, being your God. And that's the thing with any kind of thing. You don't know if the first sip is going to be that sip to drive you into full Blown addiction. So I'm not preaching here for the benefits of drinking or the benefits of doing these questionable things. I'm just saying that it should not split a church is what Paul is saying here. And if I'm saying anything that Paul is not saying, you correct me on it. And I will publicly apologize, but I'm just going through the scripture as Paul has written it. And then he says in verse 10, For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol and not have a problem with it, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, in other words, so you can go and eat that meat in that restaurant. A weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, You are sinning against Christ. So if I eat, if what I eat causes other believers to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I do not want to cause another believer to stumble. So what Paul is saying here, I have a right to do that. I have a justification to do that. I know that all the people aren't going to agree with that. But for me, I'm going to choose not to do it because I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody else. I am free to do it. I could do it, but I choose not to do it because I want to glorify Christ and make sure that I don't cause another brother or sister To stumble. That is the law of the weaker brother. We see here that freedom comes with responsibility. Freedom comes with responsibility. Your freedom or right to act as a believer on these hot topic issues do not mean that it is beneficial for you to do them. Basically, believers that were eating the meat, were causing some without that knowledge To sin and to insist on exercising our liberty at the expense of weaker Christians is not only a sin against them, it is a sin against Christ. As Paul himself learned, Jesus takes sin against his church body seriously. He talks about that in the book of Acts. Just like this, just a a parent would not want themselves or someone else to teach their children something that could hurt them later. It happens, I understand that, but as a whole, most people do not want You know if they're going to do something that they think is questionable they will wait till the kid goes to sleep or they will be when they they'll hide it they'll try to not be away from the child cuz they don't want the child to see that and stumble over that but it's the same thing with Christians and people who are younger in the faith there are things that you may not have any problem with but there may be somebody who's younger in their faith they haven't been a Christian as long as you have they don't understand the same convictions you have they don't understand the freedoms that you take and it causes them to stumble So what is Paul saying here? Don't trip others up in their spiritual progress. Rather, help them on their journey. When controversial subjects arise in the church that are related to Christian holiness, recognize that when it comes to getting along with God's family, love is more important than knowledge. If someone is offended because of their legalism and tradition, and they say it's not right or it's a stumbling block, and they have no biblical reference for that, just keep moving, just keep rocking, keep going. But if someone is struggling with knowing if that is right or wrong according to their knowledge of God at the time, then that is being a stumbling block. At the end of the day, your love for that person and deciding to keep your rights to the side to benefit that other person is what Paul is saying should be done. Charles Swindoll says mature Christians whose knowledge is balanced with love will never take advantage of a weaker Christian. They just can't live with that. They'll be touched by the impulse to help encourage the weak. So can we love someone even though they do something we don't necessarily agree with? Can we not do something in public that may cause somebody else to stumble? And I hope you notice that the, the, the examples that I've been pulling out in addition to the eating of the sacrificed meat. These are not things that are scriptural absolutes that Jesus has talked about. If Jesus has talked about it and said that this is wrong, it is wrong, period. There is no leeway in that. But I'm talking about these hot topics that keep churches divided, that keep believers divided. Where is your love for your brother or sister? If you are steadfast in your convictions over your traditions, that you grew up with, and your views must be what everybody thinks, where is your love for your brother or sister? If you are arrogant in your understanding of controversial things and you shove it in the face of those who are not there yet, where is your love for your brother or sister? Because one day, stumbling blocks will be building blocks. You see, Paul fully expects, as he's answering them, he fully expects that over time, the weaker brothers and sisters will mature in their faith to the point to where they can handle things just like the more mature believers. But for now, the mature believers shouldn't consider running over the brothers and sisters who would have been taught any different. So loving our brother and sisters in Christ is more important than our individual rights. Being devoted to traditions and preferences will keep us divided while focusing on loving God, and will bring us together, my, my friends, Paul is giving us a good truth here. He is saying that let's make the main thing loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if there is something that we are doing that's causing them to sin, it's best for us to not do it. Don't ju- if you're one of those people that are if you're the I'm okay with the eating the meat. Don't go up to somebody that's not and just kind of dangle it in front of their face and, yum That's not love. But it's also not love to be that one that says you shouldn't eat meat and go in and shouting at them and telling the preacher you saw them at, at the, the whatever deli eating the meat that was sacrificed to the idols. Do you see how this is one topic that Paul is addressing with, but there are many other things that we could lump into this same concept? Of the law of the weaker brother. You see, we have freedoms, but don't let our freedoms become stumbling blocks. Because that is what causes disunity in the church.